0: Hello and welcome to Discord, a podcast to explore the intersection between music and theatre. I'm Adam Lenson, and week by week, I will be trying to figure out the conundrum that is musical theatre. Welcome to episode 19. Discord. Last week on episode 18 of Discord, I published the first half of an interview that I did with journalist Stuart Heritage and actor and writer Alex Young. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I suggest you start there. But if you have, I'll move swiftly on and reintroduce you to Stuart Heritage and Alex Young.
1: You were so kindly inviting me to do this instead of just uh, like a lot of people were just hammering me. And I do genuinely. I, I like, as a, as a pursuit, self-improvement. And if that means being told that there are better things than the things I'm used to and that I should broaden my horizons, then of course I'm going to uh, listen. So this is... I'm really happy to be here. And, and you're both nice and none of you have hit me yet. Which is <laughs> a lot better than I thought was going to happen.
0: I say to Stuart that the reason for continually having this dialogue about musical theatre is I want the ability to make new British musicals. And I want the industry I work in to create more new British musicals. And I want the money and the rehearsal spaces and the talent to push the medium forward and to make shows that reach wide audiences. And the thing I do find problematic about how easy it is to pigeonhole musicals or for people to say that they hate them, is that I think it leads our industry away from making opportunities that might lead to work that will change people's minds and change people's perceptions of what a musical is. And so if we're not careful, the attitudes against musicals will be self-reinforcing and will make sure that there aren't better musicals or different musicals or things that show just what an amazing thing for storytelling music can be. So I asked Stuart, what could our industry do to reach someone like him at home and either change his mind about the way he feels about musicals or convince him to get up and go and see a show that might change his mind.
1: I think it would have to be quite something quite small. It's not, not a big production. Uh, I, tried, I tried watching uh, Avenue Q. I didn't really like Avenue Q very much because I thought it would subvert the things I didn't like about musicals and it didn't do it enough because there were still people singing.
0: (laughs) But interestingly, Avenue Q very much exists in the paradigm of traditional musical theatre, despite its bad language and adult humour, or its small cast and small scale. The musical itself indeed makes fun of the trope of musicals. I'm getting the sense that Stewart might like something more understated, something that uses music and songs in a less self-conscious way, something more delicate, even.
1: I liked it, and there were parts of it I enjoyed, but it was I went into it thinking this will be the musical that destroys musicals, and it wasn't.
0: And I often say that people who love musicals and people who hate musicals are guilty of the same thing, which is thinking and assuming that they know what a musical is. Both groups fix us to a shared idea of what a musical is, looks like, sounds like, and both of them stop the medium from growing and shifting and adapting. I think musicals can be any mixture of music and storytelling, and that the medium itself is boundless in terms of what it can look like, feel like, and achieve. I kind of understand why Stuart thought in advance that Avenue Q might change his mind, because it looks like something that is in resistance to the traditional idea of a musical. But in so doing, it acknowledged that traditional idea of a musical as musical theatre. And I think musicals need to break our traditional ideas of what a musical is and put music and stories together in a shifting group of combinations to try and find out what else the medium can be. On further examination, Stuart basically comes to the idea that all mediums need the same thing to be good.
1: A very good story over anything else rather than what people think of musicals now which is you know Motown songs with pss, b- bits in between a good story that's backed up by strong performances of songs and I, I'm sure they exist I, I just haven't looked hard enough
0: I then refer back to Stuart's earlier comment that musicals he might like to see might tend to be smaller in scale And it led me to wonder why we have conflated scale with musical theatre as if a musical can only be something on a huge stage with massive themes, with a huge cast and big sound that's, that's sort of very outgoing rather than something smaller and quieter. And I say that, you know, a musical doesn't have to have an orchestra, that two people and a guitar can also be a musical and that maybe part of the way that we get new and different musical theatre is by lessening our expectations on the scale of the event and therefore the cost of the event too.
2: It is interesting, so many people, so many new writers are now kind of writing small because of their, uh, because of the limitations on funding, especially, you know, especially in the subsidiary sector, which does its best, which does its level best, but one is Subsidy, you know, it's only so much it can do. So I do think there is a problem there as well that we begin writing small and not just two people in a guitar small. I mean, like small ideas, uh, you know. And they don't, you know. One of the things I try and we, we try and do in our writing is, yeah, we'll just have six people because that's probably all we can afford. But I just write something big, on big ideas, epic ideas. Um, and so, so, I think that I think there's there's two I think I think there's two problems there, is that because of the limitations in funding, that maybe the stuff that, that might seem more appealing because it's not bells and whistles and stuff, m- might you might still find mm. boring and um, kind of not exploring enough, not telling an important enough story, or being brave in what kind of story it decides to
1: tell. I did, my degree is in script writing for film and television and it's the same sort of thing I think it's a British thing where the, our lecturers when we were writing scripts were always saying, like, tell bigger stories You're just because you're British, everyone was telling these little stories about people doing little things and it's uh, yeah, committing to to a, a, an, a big idea rather than sort of yeah. the, the, the quiet
2: Yeah, I mean the thing is it can still be something that's Domestic, like Flowers Mrs. Harris was a, a new show that the Sheffield Crucible did uh, by Rachel Wagstaff and Richard Taylor. And it is unbelievably beautiful and makes you think about every, everything in life. And yet, all it is is a, about a woman wanting to, uh, she's a cleaner, and she wants to buy um, a dress, like a really beautiful new look, couture dress. And that's all it's about. So it's small in that regard and domestic but it asks huge questions and i think that's what we don't do quite so well
0: and i think alex here cuts to the heart of what i think musicals are and what they're most capable of i don't think they're only capable of telling certain stories but what i think they're best at is connecting the very big and the very small because for me music is a sort of metaphysical glue and it binds together time and space society and the individual the outside world and the psychological interior of a person and for me music is special in that way and it can take us places that nothing else can very quickly and with great immediacy and my sense is that a musical doesn't have to look or sound a particular way but A story has to be interested in those parameters for it to be a good musical because I think that's what music does. Stuart then asks Alex about what it's like to act in a musical.
1: How is it it, while you're here, Mm. performers, Mm. Uh, I know as a writer I'm often given uh, work that I take just for the money, Uh, but I just have to do it once. If if you how if if the the musical the world of musical theatre is sort of so flawed, and people having to spend months doing mm. work they dislike eight times a week, mm. that must be horrible. Mm.
2: I mean, um, <clears throat> I I feel like it's, it's something I've felt slightly guilty about since since uh, tweeting all of that. Stuff um, is I've actually been, I feel very, very lucky in the work that I've done that I've sort of put myself in a pocket where I'm uh, not really stepping into roles that have been played for 25 years by 25 other people. I've been sort of building shows from the ground up, sort of thing, working with great people, with directors who take it really seriously and who don't ask you to stand on six in the cafe. That you know, it's a creative, inventive process. I can't speak from direct experience in that. I think I've only maybe done a couple of jobs where I've been really, really bored mm. um, or felt um, embarrassed. I think in the main I've been really, really proud of, of, of things. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, yeah, I know, certain so I've had friends that are like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> then you go and see them, you go, I, I can't believe you're doing this either because you are excellent and very brilliant at things. Um, but yeah, but that's kind of part of my, my, my point in what I was saying is that I, I think if we keep going along with this and keep just going yes to doing work that's not good, then there will just forever be work that's not good. Um, and that's a lot to ask, isn't it? To, to say, we'll stop saying yes to jobs when you've got tax bills, mm. when you've got
1: your rent, and you know. It's, it's the same with my job. I, mm-hmm. I go into it thinking I'm only going to write things that define me as a person, <laughs> and then I'll, like, at midday, someone will say, Can you write a listicle about dogs? Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, well, the yeah. mortgage is due. You know, yeah. So, sort probably of, <laughs> should. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's no certain, I don't think anybody fully does their best work 100% the of the time. Mm.
2: Yes, but you're quite right that yeah, yes, just having to like spend an afternoon going I hate myself whilst you're writing is different than having to do it eight times a week. Yeah, and I really admire people that you know because there are some people that have been in shows for years and years and years. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's different uh, different strokes for different folks. Is that the idiom? Yes. Great, I'm really bad at idioms. Like, five <laughs> fish is a bird in time. Um, uh, yeah, like some people are really, really quite happy just to spend, you know, a couple of years in a show doing it eight times a week um, and then, you know, having a really nice time being able to buy a house mm. and go on holiday and have children and things like that. And then there's assholes like me who are like, no, I should just do good work and I have no money. <laughs> No children, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and not a whole lot of life. But but I am proud and love what I do. So I don't know.
0: And I think any debate requires a mixture of pragmatism and rebelliousness. You can't spend the whole time being rebellious because you would never eat or sleep. But equally you can't spend your entire time being pragmatic because you'd never push anything forward. So I think it's important to have a mixture of both to understand that we're not going to change everything all at once and that sometimes we do need to earn money and just allow musicals to carry on as they have. But also if we want innovation and if we want to change people's minds who haven't yet seen what musicals are capable of, then there's going to need to be some rebellion as well. Having not heard him say this yet, but having heard this complaint plenty of times before, I asked Stuart if the suspension of disbelief required to watch someone sing or break into song has ever proven problematic for him in his engagement with musicals.
1: This is something I heard you talk about on the episode I listened to, where the the transition moment where you, you see someone processing information in a human way, and then the music swells, and they're they're doing it in a way that's alien to any way that any human has ever dealt with information. Uh, So yeah, that does take some adjustment, but I don't think it's an off-putting factor. I do think that it's a lot more ingredients that have to be right. You can't just, in a film, you can watch Al Pacino mumble in a really amazing way in a like a well shot scene and that's great but in a musical there's performance and staging and then there's music and then there's lyrics and then there's everything around it it's it's more pieces that you have to get completely right and if one of them fails and maybe that's the case in some of the musicals i see that makes it harder to suspend your disbelief it's harder to get swept away. Now.
0: And I think it's hard for people to distinguish between whether they don't like something because of their taste or whether they don't like something because it's poorly calibrated. And there are so many elements in a musical that it's quite hard to analyse whether you just don't like something or whether it's done badly. I think an audience member is unlikely to sit afterwards and analyse, oh, was that a poor scene into song moment or was i impatient about the interaction of music and emotion in that moment of the story no one's going to sit and have that discussion except maybe me and thus they won't end up with a particularly clear answer
1: and it's something i do because i write about film when i study film i can do it when i if when i leave the cinema because I feel like I know enough about film to be able to take it apart like that. But with a musical, and especially when music is such an emotional thing, that it's, it's if you don't know the medium very well, it, it's harder to break down into pieces like that, I think. And you can just come away thinking, I, I didn't, there's I, there's something I didn't like about it, and it's hard to put your finger on what it is.
2: I think sometimes people don't like feeling manipulated by music. I know that was certainly what, uh, that, that, was, that was that was for me when I was sort of growing up, kind of working out what my taste was. And, you know, I remember, I, I think Lens is an amazingly crafted thing. I loved it when I was 12. And I used to watch the 10th anniversary thing over and over again and sob. But then as I started growing up, I just, I started to resent the feeling of being manipulated, the feeling of the music telling me when I should be weeping. Like when I watched a film, I get a, Love, those people love it. It was for me, it was okay, but I still cried at the moments that I've always cried in. Uh, but time, it's bad. Um, but uh, yeah, I, but I can't kind remember. Of, I was resenting it, I like it, you know. But but then, do you feel the same in film? Like, sometimes you don't even notice the music, and then as uh, so you, you, there is music swelling, and it's making you cry like you're a horse. <laughs> But then, because it's done well by Brian Adams, it's done well, and it's not. <laughs> uh, you know, it's. Whereas sometimes, in films, music can be so yeah. intrusive and so manipulating, and and I resent that. I think, and so I, th- I think maybe when it's done well, you kind of almost don't even notice that someone's started singing. That's 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 the aim, anyway, isn't it?
0: Yeah, the aim is to not beg the question. If someone's asking a question about the moment, then. They're out of it. Yeah. Right, yes. You want to pull someone through <laughs> yeah. a moment so suddenly
1: it's like, where did that come from? Yeah.
0: Ideally, I yeah. Say.
1: That's true. I think that's true of a lot of things. I've been watching some television lately that has been, you just, uh, so there are some episodes of Black Mirror where you just think, well, why are they doing that? Then that's, as soon as you think that, the whole thing falls apart. Mm. So yeah, you just have to have a, it has to be seamless and you need a deft to touch. And, maybe it's because I'm on the outside of it that just seems like a harder thing to do with musicals
2: I think you're so right I think and that's the other thing that's so extraordinary uh, when um, other theatre makers particularly who who sort of don't value the musical whether they like it or not it's kind of not the problem but it's whether you value it or not and it's going well actually it's so hard to get right it's so much harder than getting a play right I think um or getting an opera right which has kind of got a whole musical language all the way through i yeah it's amazing that people don't think it's a valuable art form when it
1: is so difficult
2: to do and i know some of these difficulties shouldn't necessarily like um stay it's value but it's, ext- it's i find it extraordinary
1: isn't it weird that
0: it's seen simultaneously as like slightly childish and remedial
2: and so hard <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> a musical takes five years to make if not ten years to make And it's so densely layered, you're not just placing the layers of music, text and story, but you're also weaving them together. I would say, if making a play is like completing a jigsaw, then doing a musical is like completing a Rubik's Cube. And I wonder if there is also a corresponding barrier of entry to musical theatre, despite how deceptively accessible and simple they seem. Returning again to the idea of comic books, I've heard it said that learning to read comic books and to appreciate the image and the words and to absorb them at the same time rather than just looking at the pictures or just looking at the words takes a certain amount of training and that training allows you to appreciate the medium better. And maybe if you've been reading comics since you were a kid, you just have an intrinsic understanding of how it works and how to absorb that information and that intersected information of pictures and words. And I wonder if musicals are the same, that we take for granted absorbing those different types of information in tandem and that it's something that audiences need to learn how to do and if you've been doing it since you were a child, that's one thing. But if you've been put off, you may need help getting to grips with it. Is that a failing
1: of the medium that you have to be very well trained to to appreciate it? That, it makes it sound like it doesn't have the easiest um, entry barrier.
2: I if it's like to
1: Yes, exactly. Which I also don't like. Come at me, cheese. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And it's one thing to say and assume that musicals are easy to get into. But of course, if you've been listening to tapes of Disney songs and Angeloid Webber music in the car since you were seven years old, then there's already been a lot of preconditioning to the particular peculiarities of the medium. But if you're coming from cold, then musicals are very different to just listening to pop music and different to naturalistic plays and films when people don't sing.
2: I think it's such a weird genre in which it's super, super, duper hard to get it really, really friggin' good. And yet it's really easy for people to enjoy it, even if it's not really good. So it's, it's a very odd thing.
1: So uh, what would be your suggestions to me then? As someone who formerly has been on record of saying that they dislike musicals, but now is open to the possibility of enjoying musicals, what should I do? We'll come to ours.
2: Yeah, we'll come to <laughs> ours. But I've brought you some.
1: Really? Yes. Is
2: a copy of this. So this is the libretti of Sunday in the Park with George, which is sort of, everyone thinks it's great. <laughs> it is. It is great. Um, so what I thought, because you, it, you like the musicless musical, I thought I'd just give you the libretti so you can have a read, and it's my actual copy, which I use when I was oh, doing wow. it And it's got apple stickers on the front because my character ate an apple during uh, the show. So I just thought maybe have a read. And it's got some interviews with sometime in the front.
1: I promise I will. I promise I'll read it on the train.
0: As homework goes, that is pretty well thought out. So thanks, Alex, for bringing that along. Stuart certainly said his mind was more open to the possibility of liking musicals and that he would be on the lookout for shows to see. I also said I would keep in touch to let him know about shows that might fit his taste or help change his perception of the medium. Mostly, I'm just going to keep the conversation open. I'm still not certain that there's a musical currently on that Stuart would love, But I'm also sure that this discussion has convinced him that there could be a musical for him and that he shouldn't use a blanket statement to describe all musicals and that there shouldn't be a fixed notion of what a musical is. I asked if it would help Stuart if the more experimental work that resists the traditional notions of what a musical is were renamed. For example, if we called it music theatre or folk opera or gig theatre or any of the other new names for musicals that people seem to be inventing regularly to help disguise its origins.
1: No, I don't think so. I think that that sounds desperate. <laughs> to to give it a different title, uh, if it's yeah, that's I know people who do that with other things. They say oh no, this isn't this, it's a version of this. And it's the same thing. And it's I think that's it's no, that's that's a that's a cheat. That's a way out. It, a musical is a musical. Um And uh, you should, the way to make me like musicals isn't just to give musicals a different name. It's to (laughs) make make a musical that I like, um, however you do that.
0: I ask if when we think we've done that, if we should advertise it by saying, this is a musical for people who think they don't like musicals. But then I uh, catch myself and think, trying to make musicals for people who hate them is not a particularly smart marketing strategy or way of doing anything. No, no, it isn't. No, I used
1: to run a website where we used to slag everything off uh, and we never made any money from advertising. We had to close because why would you put, why would you advertise on a website that will eventually be mean about you? Um, <laughs> so, uh, I no, I, I... And I think that was, that was the failing of Avenue Q is that I thought, well, I don't like musicals, so I'll go and see this musical. In my head, at least, it was made with a, the sort of the negative attitude that we're not like the rest. Mm-hmm. And if you, I think you just need to make one like the rest, but in a in a way that, oh, that's the, the, the impossible thing. Make, keep doing what you're doing, but differently enough for new people to get in on the ground floor with it.
0: And I don't think it's possible to be an artist who only makes work out of hatred. I think you have to make work constructively and because you care about what you're doing and the stories that you're telling but equally i think it's not going to be possible to change someone's mind who hates what you're doing if you don't talk to them try and understand why and try and inch in their direction rather than just say you're an idiot i'm just going to keep doing what i'm doing anyway yeah uh,
1: barack obama used to say that the presidency was like uh, steering a cruise ship you couldn't, you couldn't make big decisions. You just have to slowly, slowly change attitudes. And you will only get, within eight years, you can, you'll only get a fraction of the weight to what you want to achieve. But you can still put things in the direction of that. So I think it's, this isn't an overnight thing. Um, I, am, I feel like I'm, sort of, I'm coming to you as one of many people who don't. I don't think I'm the only person who doesn't <laughs> like musicals. And I think there are people that hate musicals that wouldn't be as open as I am to sort of having their minds changed. And it's going to be like a like almost a word of mouth. You win one person over and they'll win their friends over. And it'll, it's, it'll take a long time if, if that's the thing you want to achieve. But it's, it's doable.
0: When I first read Stuart's article, I assumed he was a hardline hater of musicals. When we organised a meet, I was worried That we might just end up having quite an aggressive conversation where we disagreed on everything and i took him to account for being ignorant and presumptuous however in person i realized he was actually much more of a moderate he had good reasons for his own negative experiences of musicals but he was also open-minded enough to be spoken to about the possibilities that the medium could hold talking to him reminded me a bit of politics we need to have more conversations with moderates rather than just imagine everyone to be a hardliner because in the moderates, there's the possibility of iterative change. In America, the Democrats could win the House elections this year by convincing moderates to vote with them, but there's nothing that's going to change the mind of Trump's hardcore base. I think in the past I've thought I can change everybody's mind by shouting loudly enough, but now I realise it might be a case of having quieter conversations with individuals, But
1: that's, like you're saying, you have to, you, you gradually change people and nobody does that anymore. On, I have a thousand examples from last week of people not trying to gradually win me over and just saying how terrible I am for <laughs> disrespecting an art form. Um, and it's the same, that can be said for everything. Brexit, for God's sake, that's not going to be fixed by screaming at uh, Brexit voters, is it? You just have to... Like this, you, you meet the people that disagree with you. You talk, you have a nice time. Someone gives you a book that you're going to read and enjoy. And at the end of it, you meet in the middle and that's where the new ideas are formed.
0: And I say to Stuart that as a journalist, maybe he's perfectly placed to go and see shows and try and have a think about the work that is out there and that is being made and see what he thinks of it
1: now that's a really good idea how I learnt to love musicals or not yeah. and that
2: is also okay yeah. like that's the thing so, I was just going to say is that I know this conversation is about how we might reach people but also it is okay isn't yeah. it? to not like something
0: but yeah and like, like it's like, okay <laughs> on, on the I of musicals when <laughs> I did like right at the beginning of my podcast journey my friend who I was interviewing was talking about Simon Armitage and they were asking him about poetry I'm going you know, how do we make people like poetry, and make it more accessible? And Simon so Armitage said, poetry is only poetry because it's inaccessible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is, there's a barrier of entry and its beauty and its complexity and what we strive for with it is baked into the fact that it's not everyone, it's not just like, because limericks are accessible and they're not <laughs> as good as a Simon
1: Armitage poem. Yeah, so. some are excellent.
0: So, so.
1: <laughs> and I know people who don't like books, And that's just a weird thing. You have to, but they just—they don't like books. They went to school. Someone gave them a book. They didn't like it, and they were like, "Books aren't for me." And yeah, you can't. Some people you can't reach, and it's good. It's good that not everyone. If everyone likes something, that means it's not very interesting. I would rather read, like. I was I, I liked indie music as a teenager mainly because I knew a lots of people didn't mm. like it. That's why people like glam rock music in the seventies is because they knew their dad it would piss their dads off. And I think there's the interest. It, nothing should be universally enjoyed. Mm. There should always be people who don't like things. But the people who don't like them should know why they don't like them. Instead of just I don't like musicals. <coughs> Send. <laughs> this is <what> I do. <laughs> it's
0: interesting that people don't you say people don't like music uh, people you met don't like books, because that's the, the argument I was used. Like don't be
1: don't make a blanket statement. No one says I
0: don't like films, I don't like books. People
1: regularly say I don't like musicals. But yeah. Michael Owen, the uh, footballer, hates films. And it's the weirdest thing. I know He's that on Twitter, films. Should, Yeah,
2: because they just find they can't they can't quite invest in something for yeah. a couple
1: of hours. Yeah. It's and I know people who uh, are snobby about television. I write about television a lot, and especially film people, they don't like watching television because it's a lower form, and, and mm. just some things up for everyone. Mm. But, um, yeah, you should, have, you should know why you're not, yeah. you don't like them.
2: Yeah. Be informed. Yeah.
0: So how to sum up our conversation? Firstly, Stuart doesn't hate musicals. He hates the most visible surface of musicals. And that most visible surface in this country is 80s mega musicals jukebox musicals and celebrity casting shows that often appear financially motivated and that also have often been running so long that they become calcified and unchanging even as our world and our society and our perspectives change i believe we need to alter the visible surface of musical theater by presenting more examples of what a musical can be showing that the medium doesn't have to be wholly commercial, and that musical theatre can be a medium that contains new and relevant ideas. Secondly, as with books and films, we should be supporting, funding and producing new musicals each and every year, and should be using the profits from long-running successes and obvious commercial works to fund the development of new, riskier and more innovative ideas. Rather than simply and mindlessly copy what has come before, We need to add new ideas, we need to challenge perceived notions of structure, form, logistics and scale, and be given platforms and funds to make work. Originality cannot be allowed to fade away from a medium which can offer so much possibility. Thirdly, we need to be aware that many people are not interested in intense melodramatic musical theatre. Music is a huge part of everyone's lives and can communicate with each person very differently. As such, Musicals don't have to be overblown and expansive. Rather, they can be smaller and more introverted if they need to be. They can contain any genre of music and tell any story, I believe. But they need to be aware of the complex and skilled requirement of balancing so many types of information and not saying the same thing twice or more and not overwhelming their audience or pushing them away. Fourthly, we have to be aware that pop music has to an extent flattened out the shape of songs. They tend to say the same thing over and over again and tend to contain us in a single area, talking about the same thing rather than take us on a journey. As such, I believe we've become more used to room songs that keep us where we are than corridor songs that take us somewhere. This has only been heightened by the predominance of jukebox musicals which take room songs and combine them with a story. As such, I think a lot of musicals have become lazy, and the songs within them don't propel the plot the way they can in the best examples of the medium. Fifth, musical theater can contain genuinely any combination of storytelling, words, and music available to an artist. So it seems bizarre to use a blanket statement about musical theater when the medium is potentially so broad. Saying I hate musicals fixes an idea of what a musical is, and thus, reduces the immense possibility of music and words. It makes small something that I believe is huge. Sixth, as Alex says, if we keep going and doing work that's not good, then there will forever be work that's not good. And while we can't all give up our day jobs, I think we can think more carefully about what good work is, what work is that we care about, and how to better balance our pragmatism with our rebelliousness so that as artists, we might help push the medium forward rather than allow it to stay where it is. Finally, I believe that musicals are special not because they stick to a formula, not because of their scale, not because of the sort of stories they tell, not because of the type of music that they use. I think they are special because they tap into music and what music is capable of. Composer Leonard Bernstein said, Music can name the unnameable and communicate the unknowable. And I think if musical theatre can do that too, then that'd be worth watching. Thank you so much for joining us for the first two episodes of Series 2. I very much hope that if you've enjoyed them, then you'll look at our feed and listen to previous episodes. I particularly wanted to draw your attention to my Soapbox episodes, in which I try to wrestle with ideas that have been on my mind. In the first of these, I examine comic books and musical theatre. In the second, I discuss information content in pop songs and musical theatre songs. And in the third, I debate what the term cheese means, and why people think musicals are cheesy. If you'd like to get in touch, you can drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter, at Discord theater And if you enjoy the show, please do recommend us to your friends and rate and review us on iTunes. Discord is hosted and produced by me, Adam Lenson. Our co-producer is Emma Klauber. Special thanks this week goes to journalist and my friend Darren Richman, who helped broker my meeting with Stuart Heritage. Editorial assistance is from Daisy Chute, Michael Conley, Jonathan Lenson, Sarah Middleton, and Oliver Soames. Our incidental music this week was by LP Legrand, And our theme music, as always, is by Luke Bateman.